0: Welcome to the Are Your Hands Full podcast, a step-by-step parenting podcast for your Jewish family. My name is Dr. S. Yaroslavitz, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Please check out the most recent Are Your Hands Full download at www.handsfullchenuch.com. That's H-A-N-D-S-F-U-L-L-C-H-I-N-U-C-H.com. hands full, which is a behavior management program, a parenting program that teaches parents how to parent their children. And the title of tonight's conversation is all about how to be present, and we're going to put the word present in quotes, how to be present for your children. Of course, this is the time of the year where the word presence and gifts comes into play. And let's just talk about some of the things in parenting that can replace gifts, the things that children really, really, really need the most. I'm going to start with a story, a story that happened to me, actually. Um, Oh, I would say Shabbos Chazon. This past year, Tisha B'Av was on a Sunday. Shabbos Chazon. Uh, I had a few couples over at our house, and we were sitting around the day, Sida, I think it was, and one of my Eine said, You know, Bubby, we had a magic show in day camp this week. I said, oh, how nice. I said, in honor of the nine days, maybe. Is that what it was, that you had a magic show? Yeah, he says, we had a magic show. And he started telling me some of the tricks that the magician did. And then he said, and then after he did all the tricks, you know what, Bubby? He hypnotized us. I said, really? He hypnotized you? How did he hypnotize you? He said, everybody got a piece of paper with a pen and we all had to write down the one thing that our mother wants us to do the most. And he said that he's going to hypnotize us that for the rest of our life, we're going to do that thing as a present for our mothers. And then they collected all the papers and they read out all the things that everybody picked, the things that people picked the most. And they read out five different things that people picked the most and then he hypnotized us and from now on we're always gonna do those five things and he was all excited and proud of himself nine-year-old so we said to him oh wow what were the five things so he said can you guess I'm sure you can he said don't fight with your sisters and brothers clean up the playroom eat your supper take a shower and go to bed on time, big smile. Those were the five things. And then abracadabra, this magician came and hypnotized all the kids that they're gonna do these five things. And that was the end of the story and he ran off to play. And I'm sitting around the table with my couples and the kids are not around. And I turned to them and I said, that is the saddest story I have ever heard. And they kind of looked at me and they said, why? What's the problem, ma? Like, what's wrong? I said, think of it this way. You ask a group of about 100 kids what their mothers want most from them. And this is what you get. They should clean up. They shouldn't fight. They should take their su- eat, take a shower. They should eat their suppers. They should go to sleep. If I, I turned to my married kids. I said, if, uh, if somebody came to me and offered... To hypnotize you to do some one thing for the rest of your life that would give me nachas let me tell you, you want to know what I would pick? It surely wouldn't be that you should take showers. It surely sh- wouldn't be that, I wouldn't waste it on cleaning up my playrooms. If I had that chance, I would choose that you should learn for the rest of your lives, that you should do chesed, that you should be erlich, that you should be honest, that you should be I mean, I I could give you a list a mile long. So what message are our children getting from us that we value most? If we stood in front of any store in any location in Barpak and stopped every single 10-year-old kid and asked them, what does your mother want from you most? What does your mother want from you most? If your child were stopped, what does your mother want from you most? What would your child answer? And that's the idea of what it means to be present. Because if you're present in the chinuch process, that means you're entirely focused on what your children are going to turn into in the long run. You get 7,000 days from the hospital nursery until the chuppah, approximately. It's about 20 years. 7,000 days sounds like a little, it sounds like a lot. But every day matters, because I want to tell you something. The Rabbana Shalom gives us lots of things back. We lose money, we make it back. People lose health, they get better. Lots of things we get back. There's one thing we could never get back, and that's time. You can never live the same day again. So that means that every day of the precious 7,000 days that you get to raise this child, you'll never get that day again. And if those days are wasted simply on things that are about your comfort, I know it's more comfortable for you if your kids shower easily or go to bed easily or clean up their toys easily or finish what you cooked and their dinner easily. I know it makes it easy for you, but that's not chinuch. That's playing house. So the question is, are you communicating to your children what the actual Mesoira is and what the actual core message is that you would like to give over to the future Diris? So let me ask you something. Why is that so important anyway? Let the schools do it. Why is it so important for us to be able to do that? How does that happen, and where does that come from, and what is the result? And the answer to that could be really well demonstrated in another story that also happened to me, not this past summer, the summer before. Two summers ago, before corona, there was a, a hotel in Stamford, Connecticut, Crown Plaza, and three, three times in the course of the summer, they rented it out. They rented it out, a caterer came, just emptied out the whole hotel, rented it out, prepared meals, and put ads in the papers, and whoever wanted to get away from the city who needed a break came from Friday afternoon till Sunday morning. No Shabbatons, no organizations, no plans, no nothing, no schedule, nothing, nothing, nothing. Just the only thing these people had in common was that they wanted to get away from New York City during the hot summer months. Okay, so I get a call that they're, they're you know, that they're putting together at least a sheer for Shabbos afternoon as part of the, part of the routine. Would I come? Fine. I said I would come. So I came. So the first time we walked in, it was Friday afternoon. And you take a look, you're talking about upwards of, I don't know, 1,500 people. Every size and shape, and every levush you could ask for, young, old, Hasidish, litvish, svardish, libavich, any type, any size, any shape you could want. Children, everybody. One big mush of Klal Yisrael. It was actually beautiful to see. And everybody's showing up with one thing in common. So fine. I take a look, and somehow it gets to be a certain o'clock and somehow every woman seems to know that she's got to approach a table and light candles and somehow every man seems to know that he's got to go into xyz room and pick up xyz sitter and turn to xyz page (coughs) and seems to know exactly what to say and then we get to the meal and somehow Everybody seems to know exactly what's going to be on the menu. And somehow, one person starts a song, a niggin, and somehow you get 1,500 people, and everybody seems to know the niggin. And I'm thinking to myself, imagine if we put 1,500 to 2,000 Democrats in a building from Friday afternoon till Sunday morning. What would it look like? Or any other nationality for that matter. What would it look like? And we wouldn't tell them what to do, and we wouldn't tell them what to say. Would they have a routine as structured as our Shabbos without being told what to do? The whole Shabbos ran that way. Nobody told anybody what to do. Everybody knew what to do. To to what do we owe this phenomenon? To what do we owe this phenomenon? Messiah? Transmission transmission of this, these concepts of Yiddishkeit from 2448, from the year 2448 when the Torah was given, 3,332 years approximately. That amount of years, if every generation is 25 years, do the math, hundreds of generations, hundreds of times These nigunim, and this menu, and this schedule, and this had lakas and this benching got transmitted hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. By whom? By whom? Us, the women, the Yiddish Amamas, we're the ones who give it over. Now here's the question. What exactly are we giving over? And if we are, in the year 2021, assaulted with tons and tons and tons of outside information, remember, our mamas and our babas lived in Shtetlach. They lived in small locations. They lived in towns that were about the size of Woodburn, New York. And they never got to go out. So they weren't assaulted with so much outside information and so many values in all the magazines and all the media and all the reading and everything. It wasn't like that. It was like I'm laughing and I say to myself, you know, if you want to study a culture, let's say I wanted to learn about a specific culture. Yes. And I decided I wanted to know more about it. What would I do? I would pick up a circular. I would pick up a magazine, I would pick up some reading material, a periodical from that culture and I would open and turn the pages to get a feeling of what that culture is. And sometimes, I mean at this point I don't let it in the house anymore, but at some times, I would pick up a magazine and I would say, okay, so this represents Yiddishkeit, alright, so let me see, what is it, who are we? So I open up to page one, we are, and I see a big piece of meat page two we are a bugaboo next thing next page we are a shetel next thing we are a minivan who are we and what are our children seeing if that is what we represent so here's the thing if we're busy worrying about the housework and the eating and the showering which of course we have to on some level but it's the dagesh is so much on the structure of the running of the actual home, and add that an assault of so much outside information from the media. If you put those things together, what message, what transmission, what messiah are our children actually getting? Are we present? Are we there? Our children are thing rich and time poor. What does that mean? Our children are getting things, 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 objects, items, presents buy me this, buy me this. They're constantly getting things, but how much time do we actually spend with them? How much time do we actually sit down? Pop a bowl of popcorn, take out a game of Monopoly, and sit down and play. is coming. There's going to be time. There's going to be family time. How do we use it? Do we spend it rushing around to stores? Do we spend it looking around what everybody else has and make sure that what we have? Or we, do we decide to inject those basic core values of the Yiddisha home? A little bit back into our children so that they can get a little bit more of us now in order for that to happen it's very very poetic the way i'm speaking and you're probably rolling your eyes and saying very nice very nice but you know what i gotta get through the day everybody's gotta get fed everybody's gotta have clean clothes everybody's gotta take take showers everybody's i, I have to clean up my house because otherwise it'll be dysfunctional yeah i know all that but here comes the question is there a way for us to use your emotions of who you are as a reflection of what it is we want to give over our children to our children and here we move into the actual program itself gonna try to give you a little bit of a scope of what the hands full program is all about basically what it is is it's a program that has three phases and each phase builds on the other one. In other words, you can't have one phase without the other. So the first foundational part of life, in order for a person to be healthy, normal, a functional adult, what is the number one skill that this person has to have? And the answer is, you have to be able to handle when things don't go the way you want i'm going to repeat that the number one human skill that a person has to have is the ability to be able to tolerate when things don't go the way you want we're all going to live for 120 years and let's say mathematically speaking let's say mathematically speaking 50% of the time things go the way I want and 50% of the time they don't just let's say So if I'm only okay when things go the way I want then I'll only be happy half my life It's a shoot a terrible shame But if I could pull it together and be okay, even when I'm not comfortable Even when things don't go the way I want then I could be happy all my life. I could be happy both times when things go the way I want and when things don't and that's the ticket to happiness and that's the ticket to being emotionally healthy if you each think of what happened today just take today how many things didn't go the way you wanted it just today alone how badly bent out of shape did you get today ask yourself was I basically happy today was I basically okay today Did I go with the flow is this what my children see that even when things don't go the way mommy wants, it's okay. She's okay. She doesn't fall apart. What a beautiful lesson to transmit. What a beautiful Messiah to to give over to children. You know why? Because you know what sits on top of this magical ability. We call it in fancy English. We call it frustration tolerance. You know what sits on top of this magical ability? The ability to obey. The ability to fall. Why? What's the connection? Think of it carefully. If somebody... What is obedience? Obedience means that I do something that I don't particularly want to do, Because somebody else asked me to. That's what obedience is. Obedience is not that I cleaned up the playroom because somebody promised me ice cream. That's mazel. I did that for myself. That's not obedience. I don't know how many of you like to fast. You like to fast? No, I don't like to fast. But every now and then, a couple of days a year, because somebody else told me to, I fast and here's my favorite word anyway I fast anyway I do it anyway why cuz somewhere in my history somebody taught me to tolerate when things don't go my way so if my mother tells me to clean up the playroom and I don't particularly want to clean up the playroom but I have been taught That life doesn't always have to be exactly the way I want it to be then I will clean up the playroom anyway this is fascinating stuff and it's so 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 important to pay attention to that what do your children know do they understand that they have to step out of their comfort zone do they understand that by stepping out of their comfort zone, they will be able to become a Shaimatara mitzvah, Yereshamayim, and they'll be able to be happy while doing it? This is so, so important. I have to read to you a message that I got from, from a particular speech therapist last week. Listen to this. It came from one of the parents of one of her clients. And she said to me, What is the world coming to? The mother writes, By the way, I told so-and-so, let's say Malki, I told Malki she, she would be meeting a new Mora today, a new speech therapist. And the Mora's name is Pamela. So the child said, So Malki said, I don't like the name Pamela. So the mother said, I so I said. Okay, so don't call her Pamela, call her Pammy. So the child said, she liked that name better. So the mother says to to the speech therapist, just a heads up, she she probably forgot about it and will like you very much, but it gives you a glimpse, I'm reading, it gives you a glimpse of her personality. I expect her to be well behaved, but we don't call her little tiger for nothing. So in the outside world, this is obviously in the outside world, in the outside world, if a, ch- if a child doesn't like the reality, if I don't like your name, then I'll call you something else. And the mother suggested to the child that she should call this person by another name. This is the liberal world we are living in today. If we don't get our act together and make sure that our children can tolerate when things don't go their way, then they will not be functional instead of communicating to a child okay you don't like this this class will put you into that class you don't like this dress you can wear that dress you don't like it th- and this is what happens we give this message over and over and over again that you are center stage the world was created just for you which it was but bishvili nivra Olam doesn't really mean that bishvili Nivraha Olam means that the world was created for you to give not to take B'shvili nivra ola means it's an opportunity for me to create change and do all kinds of things, not that things have to be served to me on a silver platter. So what ends up happening is, is when children don't learn frustration tolerance, they cannot obey. And when they cannot obey, they don't experience obedience and they don't become obeyers. So the third stage is when a child finally does become an obeyer then we have a chance that they will control their impulses what does that mean when presented with a life asset when presented with something that they're told not to do something that's off limits something in technology something with smoking some talking about teenage stuff now something with whatever it is that they're not supposed to do if they've been an obeyer all their lives or all the first 10 11 12 years of their lives then we stand a chance that maybe, just maybe, they'll be able to withstand the eight Sahara and whatever else it presents. So this is what the program, how the program is built, one on top of the other. So you're going to ask me and you're going to say to me, so when do children learn to tolerate frustration? Well, actually, the Rabban Shalom created a specific time in a child's development. Actually, it's two times in a child's development where we specifically teach frustration tolerance. The first time actually has a name. It's called the Terrible Twos. At approximately 18 months of age, children develop something called autonomy, and they start to fight off reality. They want to be in charge which is an amazing, amazing bracha. You should probably throw a kiddush every time you see a tantrum. And when these tantrums happen, they are noisy, they're exhausting, they are disruptive, they are explosive. And if you, the parent, doesn't have your own frustration tolerance developed, you're not going to be able to tolerate it. So what ends up happening is, for the sake of shalom, you give in and you give the child what he wanted, or she wanted. Or you try to talk the child through it, or you try to reason reason the child through it. So the child never learns to tolerate the frustration that life brings. And that happens from 18 months till approximately three and a half or four. And if a child gets through those stages, having their tantrums ignored and learning to self-calm, and learning that life doesn't have to deliver exactly what I want, when I want it, how I want it, that child will emerge from the fourth birthday much, much healthier. And then from there, we have a lull from age four till about nine. And then it starts again. And then it's adolescence, and it's a different type of tantruming. But either way, the Rav put that stage into a child's development, in order for a child to become a healthy enough adult that if he happens to be in a store and looks outside and sees a meter maid writing a ticket on his car, he's not going to be going running out at the age of 32 and screaming and yelling at the meter maid why he's giving, he's giving him a ticket. When I see somebody screaming at a meter maid, I say to myself, what am I really seeing? I am seeing somebody who when they were two and they wanted a lollipop and they opened up their mouth and screamed for a lollipop it worked because otherwise why would that person think to scream at a meter maid? why would they think that it would even work so obviously somewhere in this person's history somewhere in the past this person's lexicon of screaming when they wanted something that was the soup of the day that is what worked and if you don't work on in the first 7,000 days of life eradicating that strategy then this person is going to walk into marriage thinking that by opening up a mouth they're going to get what he or she wants so think of it this way the goal of the 7,000 days is that you should take your child to the chuppah, with three things in place. They should be able to tolerate frustration. They should be able to obey and assay that with something that they're told to do. And they should be able to eventually control their impulses for a low assay. Those are the three ticket ingredients for health in the adult world. And what I always tell my students and those who follow the program, you should be to take every single child to the chuppah, being shy, mature, mitzvahs, being emotionally stable and talking to you. Now in order for people to learn the different strategies that make up these phases, we have names for them. We have Russia for them. There's ignore negative behavior this separate without comment that means taking a, something away from a child or to a, another child away from a child without talking there's about um, missions saying things not in command form so that not to allow a child to disobey you these are all strategies that I'm not explaining now because they're too complicated in our short period of time but the idea is to understand that the strategies build up a person so that They control how the child reacts to these behavior management. Now, the interesting thing is, is that if you take a look at the way your head is created, your brain is created, the behaviors, the emotions, the personalities that we have are behind our foreheads. That's where they're situated. That's why we get our headaches there. That's called the EQ, the emotional quotient. The intellectual quotient, their IQ, is found more to the top and the back of the head. Now listen carefully. If you want to teach somebody, Chumash, Navi, Gemara, Rashi, Taisvis, math, science, social studies, you need to use language. The language goes in through the ears and straight to the back of the head. And that's where all the information goes in the frontal lobe the part of the brain that controls emotions and personalities and behaviors is not near the ears did you notice that what are they near they're near the eyes because behaviors are learned through observation they don't understand language and the proof of it is that how many times you hear mothers say, how many times do I have to tell you not to do this and not to do that? Right? Because the more you talk, the more the information goes in through the wrong part of the brain and the less you impact the actual behaviors. You know what it's like? It's like trying to peel an orange with your toes instead of your fingers. So the commonality of all the strategies of the program is that there's no talking during those negative moments that require the strategies during positive moments that we encourage you to spend with children you should talk constantly because then you're not dealing with actual behaviors so this is just I'm running out of time the time that they allotted me so I just want to wish you all that you should be zaycha to take your children all the way from the hospital nursery to the chuppah with three phases in place that they should be able to tolerate frustration, that they should be able to obey an assay, and they should be able to have impulse control to push away a los assay, that they should be shy, matara, mitzvot, emotionally stable, and talking to you. Have a wonderful good night and enjoy the rest. Thanks for listening to my podcast. My name is Dr. S. Slavets, and I am the director of Hands Fold, which is committed to the provision of community education in the area of behavior management and cognitive development of children. I look forward to hearing from you with any questions that you have. And remember, no matter how impossible things may seem, the earth will continue rotating on its axis.